Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Dr. Robin. How you doing? Well, um, it's been a long week and it's only Wednesday. <laughs> Hasn't, though. It feels like, I feel like I've, I've run a marathon. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, definitely been um, some trying times that we've seen this week. And, and, and just the exhaustion level of the workload that we're trying to maintain and all the things. So we we typically do this on Mondays and right. and we get to catch up and in fact we did that on on Monday. We did. And had a lovely conversation that maybe we will drop at the end of <laughs> and, and and bookmark it. And um and then um you know we're we're starting the series on anti-Asian racism and we feel like that's an important conversation that we need to have. Right. And so we're kicking it off this week and got it all ready to drop tomorrow. And, and then we all experienced here in the United States and, and likely abroad, the uh, insidious violence, the needless violence once again on our Asian communities um, in Atlanta. Yeah. And, um, as a result, we are now re-recording at the request of our guest, um, which I think is appropriate. Um, and, and, and we're going to have now a different conversation, but informed by the events of what happened last night. Right. And so for those of you that are listening to us from somewhere other than the United States or kind of aren't, um, don't, don't keep up with um, kind of the U.S. news um, ticker, which is also possible. Uh, last night or l- early evening yesterday in uh, two different suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, a young man Um, opened fire on three different businesses. Um, He took the lives of eight people, six of which um, have been identified as Asian Americans. Uh, There, there are still a lot of unknowns. There are still things that we are yet to discover about motive and, um, you know, his thinking uh, in the midst of this. But as we enter this conversation, it is the deaths of those people that are front and center um, on our minds. And we had originally scheduled this series 
because um, we knew that the statistics for anti-Asian hate crimes have increased significantly since the beginning of 2020. There was a study that was recently published by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at uh, California State University, San Bernardino. They surveyed 16 of America's largest cities and found that hate crimes overall in 2020 decreased by 7%. But hate crimes that targeted Asian people rose by nearly 150%. Those statistics alone should bother us, should cause us to um, really sit deeply in a space of concern and worry for our Asian American and Pacific Islander kin. Um, But as we look at those statistics and we couple those statistics with the news out of Atlanta last night, um, it's really important that we have this conversation and that we have this conversation in real time. And so we are, as Robin said, re-recording this episode um, and really want to look deeply at um, where we find ourselves today the day after this crime occurred. And and there's no one better um, from our vantage point to do that than with the guest that we have for this week. Um, We are welcoming a friend of ours. His name is Alex Wong. Uh, We first met Alex on the music cruise that you have heard Robin and I talk about um, several times throughout the history of this podcast. And Alex was on the cruise um, as a producer of um, one of Robin and I's favorite musical bands, Delta Ray. But Alex is in his own right, um, a multi-talented artist and musician, uh, songwriter, creator. Um, He is um, multi-talented, but more than that, he's got a really beautiful perspective on um, who he is and he and how he translate translates his life um, in real time. And so we're really thrilled that we are welcoming this week Alex Wong to the Activist Theology Podcast. Hi, Alex. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for uh, having me again. And I really appreciate you making space for this. Of course. Of course. Well, before we get started, Alex, why don't we um, let you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, a little bit more than what my very brief and and minimal introduction of you. Um, Tell our folks um, how you come at this conversation, a little bit about the work you're doing in the world. Um, and uh, just kind of set us up for what's going to happen for the next little while. Sure. Well, no one really knows what's going to happen, do we? Um, but uh, I would say you, you, you used many more words than I would have used to describe myself. So uh, thank you for that. And um, I would just say that I'm a, I'm a music maker and a, a maker in general, um, just uh, 
human that's sort of driven to to make stuff, create stuff, and um, and a, a a person figuring out themselves in the world at the same time. And I think a lot of that um, bleeds in and goes kind of hand in hand with with my what I'm creating. And so, yeah, I feel like that was a, a good description of sort of uh, learning and creating in real time and bumbling my way through the experience and uh, for all to see. So that's, that's, that's what I do. Excellent. And so you find yourself chatting with us from Nashville. Nashville is your home, your, your current home. Um, but you come to Nashville by way of California, correct? Yes, I grew up in Northern California uh, in the Bay Area and lived in the other music cities of, of uh, the U.S. I lived in L.A. for a bit and New York for a longer bit. And now I'm in Nashville. Well, I'm wondering if um, we can just get into the meat of this because... It, I don't think it's worth belaboring. Um, we 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 are committed to amplifying voices on this podcast and helping people connect the dots, have an analysis, so that we can all compost the bullshit that is killing us. And and last night. Um, your your community, Alex, um, was was once again um, violated, and and, and um, you know I I find myself both at a loss of words and angered that um, that this this person this white man his excuse was he had a bad day and um you know when i have a bad day i take a siesta um but um when this white body person had a bad day it resulted in the loss of human life yeah yeah heavy heavy day for sure um on top of a heavy yeah. year so many of these um, massage parlors and massage salons are occupied by immigrants undocumented persons and um the the ways in which um, our sex-negative society views this, the, the labor provided by Asian folks um, just continues to show up in just endless violent acts. And so, I, I mean, I think one of the questions we have for you is how are you and, and how can we be with you and your people? 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thanks for holding this space. It means a lot to to me. And just to have a an ear and um yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird uh it's been a weird day just sort of like combing through all of these very conflicting and sometimes nonsensical emotions and um and looking at some of the things that I have been feeling and my my community has been feeling um for a long time and and even going back to things that we uh you know not not to you know speak for other people in the community but for myself there's a lot of feelings that have been coming up in the last couple years and especially the last few months and especially today that are almost things that um are being unpacked in in real time again in 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 my head and realizing a lot of connections that have been difficult to articulate for a long time because one um, we have been sort of discouraged from articulating it for a long time um, not given sort of the, the the language to do it and um, and then having a lot of internal conflict um, in inside of ourselves uh, I just had breakfast with another with a friend who in Nashville who's also Asian and, and we were talking about how much how much conflict there is in just um, knowing when to when it's quote unquote okay to speak up or when it's when we have something to, to speak about because we've been uh, like, just conditioned from outside and from internally in our culture of, of not, uh, there's always a, a big shame component to, um, this, the in-betweeners, like the, the Asian Americans that are perhaps, you know, perceived as not enough of one culture, not enough of another culture. And, and, and a lot of us grew up, confused and a lot of us grew up feeling a lot of guilt for just existing in the in-between space and not holding enough of a, a culture for an outside observer to a, a approve of or not being able to fit in um, enough to er erase that culture and to assimilate and to be comfortable. And so there's always been this like, well, I don't know if I can speak for, you know, my experience isn't valid. It's, it, there isn't enough of a, of a coalition around my experience. So I, I just can't articulate it and our, our media and our culture doesn't articulate it. So it must not really exist. So that is something that I think is, right. is starting to awaken right now with me and people who have have had a similar growing up experience to me that that we're trying to f tell to, to to say you know s say the words of that story and we're having a hard like i i stumble all the time because i don't i haven't learned the words yet completely and i'm learning them now just enough to be like well actually i don't need to feel 
guilty for existing the way I existed or being brought up the way I brought up. I, you know, I am entitled to live the, you know, live life and, and, and feel uh, what I feel. And, and in this case, it's, you know, we are tired. Uh, you know, I feel really tired today because it's, you know, the, the, the overriding thought in my head is this very clear through line, this thread that connects all of this shit that, that from the, the, the most innocuous bullshit stereotype to this, these killings. And, um, and it's always been something that has been hard to talk about because sometimes people will brush off, you know, casual racism or microaggression or something as not worthy of airtime or not worthy of complaint or something. And, um, and then there's all these levels of it and it just goes, you know, all up and down this sort of, uh, these levels. And, and here we are at, you know, you know, you can see this direct connection between kind of like, like this, you know, just in the case of what happened yesterday, the sort of uh, fetishized, um, you know, hypersexualization of Asian women, which has this direct lineage to the trafficking from since the 1800s and this rationalization of having to perceive them that way in order to continue to abuse them that way and to be able to dismiss their humanity in order to keep exploiting them. And that has seeped into the consciousness to the point where even Asians think of themselves that way, or they, they take on this perception from the dominant culture and it's, you know, and so, yes, it may be a a slight small thing when someone makes like a me love you long time joke or a hot Asian babes porn joke or something but that's because of this long line of historical context which leads to someone who thinks it doesn't fucking matter to go and shoot up these lives that were only there for his pleasure and they were only there to serve uh this sort of like white fetish and so it was totally fine to go and have a bad day and kill them and and if anyone doesn't see that direct connection then that's you know that's a work that they need to do um and so today i've just been thinking a lot about all these connections between that and and you know there's this such as we talked you know this historical this you know the historical precedent of you know why you know we talked about asian men sorry <laughs> last time about like um you know, we, we are in media and in, in culturally, we're kind of like have this weird, like um, emasculated perception in this country. And it's only in America. And the reason is it's, it's an, it came from an economic, uh, economic and, and um, fear-based, you know, precedent, which was, was deliberate to get to gain, you know, there was an agenda to it at the time in the 1800s to demonize the, you know, a group of, of Chinese workers so that they can, ju- again, justify abuse, justify taking jobs. And once they took, once the Chinese took the jobs that no white man wanted, which was laundry and, and restaurant work, then they 
cast them with the stereotype of being effeminate because they worked in women's jobs, quote unquote. And so that stuck, that has stuck through a hundred something years to the point where we won't get cast as a lead romantic lead in a movie because the, the culture supposedly doesn't see us as, uh, as a, as a, a sexual, uh, a viable sexual, you know, object or something like that. And so these things that just sort of like pervade, right. they start to build and they build and they build to the point where you have people pushing down, you know, elderly, you know, up, walking over, walking all over uh, Asian men who, who may not even be able to speak f f uh, the language fluently because they are perceived to not have, not fight back and they're perceived to be meek and all this stuff. And um, so, yeah, so these, these, all these little microaggressions are directly lead leading to these major crimes. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, yeah, that's been on my mind a lot today. You know, I was uh, last night. I I texted with you a bit, and also texted with several other of my Asian siblings. And um, one of my friends, you know, sort of exasper exasperatedly said, "Chinese um, immigrants were here long before." European immigrants. And, you know, I, I say this a lot um, to folks that this country, and in particular, white body folks do not have a historical memory. And like, there's like this collective amnesia for white bodied folks that, that there is, you know, there is a lack of recognition and acknowledgement of the ways in which, um, like the railroad system, uh, was built by Chinese immigrants, and and that that was not um, equitable pay. It was a kind of slave labor. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just, I think about, um, how this country, it has historically been populated by immigrants and, and, and we only privilege the European narrative of immigration and we criminalize every other narrative around migration yeah and, and it i mean it pisses me off but it also perpetuates the very thing that you're talking about um that that we expect black and brown bodies um to internalize all these different narratives and, and it and it's an imposition that is that is harmful and toxic and it de it, it it's dehumanizing in every way yeah yeah i think that dehumanization is the at the you know it's the necessity of it in order for it to even happen and it's the result and it's the result right. uh, you know and and here we are where 
even in this just like ghastly thing that happened, we have people, we have apologize, apologists who say, well, you know, not only was it like a bad day, but it's, it's, well, he had, he was suffering from a sex addiction and right. The, so therefore it wasn't a hate crime ex- and, and sort of glossing over that, that, that I, I find that that kind of uh, being addicted to a fetish to, to a, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hateful already. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dehumanizing. Like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's objectifying these women. And then when, when you feel, when you get bad feelings, then, uh, you somehow you can justify just, you know, snuffing out life because they don't, they're not human. And, and if that's not hateful and that's not a hate motivated crime, then I really don't know what is. Yeah. You know, we forget how intertwined racism and misogyny really are. And, you know, they, the, the media has the potential to really fuck this up um, in trying to use his, this sexual temptation narrative to minimize the racist and and xenophobic act of this young man. Um, You know, he, all reports point to the fact that he was, um, that he is the son of a Baptist pastor, um, which means that, you know, misogyny and white supremacy was ingrained in him from a very young age. He likely feels horrible shame over sexual temptation that is in no way shameful, but because of this evangelical upbringing, he has been taught that shame is associated with it. And as a result of all of these things, he has coupled this misogyny with this racism to commit a violent act of which we may not ever hear the, the the racist and the xenophobic side of because the media will seek to soften and the police will seek to soften the acts of this young man because they are going to use this temptation narrative as one that feels better and, and sounds better for, for public consumption. Um, you know, I mean, as someone who is a pastor in um, a mainline denomination in this country, that pisses me off. Um, To Robin's point, you know, part of the reason that our historical memory is non-existent is because many of us as white folks have been conditioned to see only a Eurocentric Christian understanding of the world. We've gone to public schools that don't teach truth. We have been raised by people who weren't taught truth by their parents who also weren't taught truth. And and generations of untruth has come back to haunt us. And, And it just, it infuriates me that we, that we are 
that we have the potential to really kind of lose the, the, not that, not that we want to hang on to this kind of narrative because it's hurtful and it's demeaning, but it, it pisses me off that, that the, the media could really screw this up and we could really screw this up as humanity by focusing on the wrong thing when it comes to what happened in Atlanta last night. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't believe that the system that we have in this country um, will do anything to mitigate the violence against bodies of culture. Right. Um, and I expect the media to continue to sensationalize this story that further dehumanizes the, the the women who are killed who were killed um and the and i mean and the countless other forms of labor that asian bodied women latin american women um do you know i mean just thinking about latin american women you know they're only useful insofar as they can clean your house and and the ways in which we have forced immigrant women into subjugated roles that gives them no agency, no livable wage is criminal. Yeah. And the system is doing nothing to, to stop it. Yeah. I mean, we're not only it, that but it de- totally depends on it right i mean the system can't operate without mm-hmm. a, a a subjugated mm-hmm. class and that's mm-hmm. what we've built mm-hmm. and that's sort of you know what is what is complicated in the, the asian american story that we're trying to sort of figure out right now is that well one obviously we are it's like basically saying all of Europe needs to be, you know, classified under this one monolithic culture, which is clearly impossible. I mean, clearly by the EU, it's impossible because we're always looked at as a monolith. We start to try, we try to behave that way, or we, we sort of, uh, we take on a certain assumptions. And so part of this process has been, sort of peeling peeling back on on the things that don't fit very well and um and the parts that we kind of perpetuate ourselves um you know the 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 diaspora has been so different for so many different asian groups that even even with just chinese here there's like so many different really different groups of you know, waves of, uh, immigration and, st- and status. And like, you know, there's, you know, the, the, the first wave, I guess. And, and also like w- where my family came from, uh, from the South and from Guangdong, it, it was like pretty poor, pretty, you know, there was, it was like hard economic times and it was, it was, it was trying to, 
it was sort of starting like going for broke and, and there was, there was a lot of sort of do or die and, and, and ending up, you know, coming here without really a return ticket and, and, and just sort of an acceptance that that was what needed to be done. And then there's another whole demographic that came over for university much later with, uh, with money and with the freedom to go back and forth. And so even among the different Chinese groups, I find it sometimes like we don't relate to the stories of our families. Um, and, and so that's just another, and then not to mention outside of even, you know, Chinese, you have so many different stories that are being told and that. So trying to get on one page, like when something like this happens or in this last year, just like what's our unified response it is very complicated to figure out what what that is because everybody has such different traumas and such different um agendas and ideological political you know viewpoints and i think we're dealing with that now with a lot of like very we are you know there's a lot of conservatism there's a lot of there's a lot of racism there's a lot of um uh, you know, like anti-blackness in the community that we have to, that we're unpacking now and, and, and looking at and figuring out how to reckon with. Um, and, and, and so it's a, it's a complicated time for sure. And I think a lot of these things, it's, it's forcing the hand. So I think it's ultimately positive in, in my feeling because so many things were being forced to look at and you can't just take one, you know, it's not a binary thing. You can't, we're not just the victims. We're not just the, um, you know, and, uh, and all of that is, is part of this, you know, story of, and what is a humanizing. I mean, that's the element, right? It's like a, a human being has all of these messy parts and these dimensions. And that's something that we haven't even really been allowed to explore in ourselves. I mean, we, we, we are like clamoring for crumbs and we get a movie. It has to be about the fact that we're Asian. You know, it's like, we have yet to be able to tell a story about just being human beings without it having to do with being the fact that we're Asian, you know? And, right. and, and so we're still, there's just so far to go. And, and until that's told, people don't see it yet. Yeah. And uh, until they, until they can see this spectrum in a elderly Asian person, they're going to see a cardboard cutout caricature that you can push over and, and, and dehumanize. And that's, that, that is it. I mean, that's, what's, you know, that's what we are, needing more than anything right now is this humanization and and seeing and calling out this othering that's been going on for hundreds you know for over a hundred years um on purpose and and just like undoing all of all of that and even in ourselves because it's so deep that it, it is something that we we in the communities also to have taken on mm-hmm. and that's that, that makes me sad but you know i think that's that's the work 
I'm reminded of Grace Lee Boggs, the Chinese-American activist who was based in Michigan, who said that um, movements are born of critical connections, not of critical mass. And one of the things that the Activist Theology Project prides itself on is an ethics of incojunto, which there's no really like a equivalent English word, but essentially it means togetherness. And I think it it hearkens what Grace Lee Boggs was talking about, these critical connections that we need. Um, uh, we need new forms of relationality. We, we need networks of trust so that we can have networks of solidarity. And all of the people who are, you know, coming on to our podcast um, to talk about um, the overwhelming violence against Asian and Asian American folks are because we have a critical connection with with them, and and I just it feels important to to sort of name. Grace Lee Boggs, um, who fought for a long time to create a movement that was focused on relationships. And, um, and there's, I mean, I think what gets me too is um, we see so much of Asian culture appropriated in this country with a complete, with like no relationship to the culture itself. And I mean, one of the things that I'm excited for Alex is um, to participate with you in one of your dinners and music nights, um, because I think so much so much of our work right now is trying to figure out how how do we share the table with people how can we participate in these in these intimate acts that show up at food right because is that a path to creating the kinds of connections to mitigate the bullshit yeah, and, and I want to I want to speak to that because I I do think, well, you know, I think we're all everything we're talking about is part of this humanization, which is so vital, and and I think it's just realizing, you know, there's so many things that I didn't even catch myself, and I know that like friends of mine, just just the littlest things that that come in conversation that, um, become over that just are, are, are reflexive. And, and like, you know, I, I started noticing recently that, that my, you know, some of my white friends who, who I love, but, and I know have no malicious, malicious intent would say, you know, when describing like a Chinese lady or a Chinese guy, they would say that little Chinese lady or that little Chinese guy just without thinking. And it has nothing to do with the size of that person. It has to do with a social stature. 
and and that that's these are these are the tiniest little things that come up that um that we have to start like stopping and be like oh like that happened let's let's like let's look at that and with food you know that's such i i find that is one way it's a beautiful way to as an entry point it's also a complicated one because you know i i i'll just yeah i had a i won't name names but i had an exchange with a person today that is in the food industry and that in nashville there are a lot of uh, white business owners who have opened asian food spots right and i don't necessarily have an issue with that i think that is what as a beauty of food is that it can be explored and shared and it's a it's a great first step it's a great entry point to a culture but you absolutely have a responsibility to take it further especially if you are borrowing from someone else's culture to build a business and a profit right especially in a place where there aren't other where there aren't other asian in this case asian people who can, who might have the capital to do that business right um or the marketing budget or the 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 team to do that business here and can't just open a concept because there happens to be a, a, a space in the market for Chinese food. And, and, you know, the response was not, you know, I, I, I was feeling, I felt hurt because I, you know, I kind of bit my tongue for a long time while these businesses would pop up and serve kind of whitewashed Asian food to Nashville. And again, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But like, as long as they are, you know, not just picking and choosing parts of the culture to exploit basically. And that's sort of perpetuating this whole thing. And so sometimes like the food thing can be dehumanizing when it's, just like we're going to take this part and we're going to and you go ahead and have fun actually you know dealing with the struggles of your culture and we're going to make money off this one little part of your culture anytime you hear the word fusion paired up right it's like a problematic thing <laughs> yeah or just i mean like straight up trying to do a authentic cuisine um and there's some great you know, the food's great. There's some great restaurants, but it's like, I, I just believe that there is a huge, you, you bear responsibility, especially when shit's going bad to be an outspoken advocate because your audience is not, is you you, you have a platform to reach the non Asian people. And so, yeah. And I got a defensive response of a like why are you attacking me response right. and i'm just like really this is the same fucking shit that it's it's like that posture of of like uh oh i'm being it you know this as soon as you bring this up there's this this you know why are you attacking me you should you know there's no need for that and 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 like that is what i think is especially exhausting at this point in in time and I don't think I have the, you know, just not here for it anymore. Yeah. There's no room for that. And it's like, I don't need to explain to you why you're, <laughs> you know, this is your issue if this is how you feel. And um, so, 
Yeah. Anyway, so food can be a, a little bit of a double-edged sword, I, I think. Yeah, totally. Totally. So we'd love to know a little bit, Alex, about um, the project that you're working on, the concert and gathering that you're getting together. Um, I recognize that there's, um, I mean, there there are no um, balms to ease any of what's happening in the world right now. But I do also know that you're role as a maker and your role as a creator in the world um, is um, a beautiful gift that um, if even for a short time can um, kind of take take people's minds off of um, the pain and, and some of the hurt. Could you share a little bit about the project that you're working on right now? Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for giving me a little time to talk about it. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm, I've I've curated a, a tour, uh, as a virtual tour, obviously, but it's, um, it is a, a tour that is kind of possible because, you know, because we have these limitations right now. Um, I realized that there's some really fun things that, uh, that I, ha- I would not have been able to do in a live setting that I've, I've really enjoyed, which one of which is to be able to collaborate with, you know, artists, from all over the world and in ones that I uh, only admire from afar or um, don't work in my, in my medium. Um, and we are able to sort of create these experiences for people and offer a variety of just different, different, uh, you know, performances and collaborations that I think has been really cool and unique. Um, so, so I have a I have a tour coming up. It's called the Show Yourself Tour, and it consists of some of my favorite musicians um, and the the roster. I, I think it really ha- like I mean they're just people who are my favorite, and it happens. I think it's a very sort of div- uh, diverse musically as well as as humanly, um, and and then it also has non musical artists. Um, so I'm able to do collaborations with with my music and like a sculptor and a ballet dancer and photographer and painter and so all of this is going to be presented over eight shows uh starting uh, march 26th going till april 25th um just fridays and sundays and um all the tickets 100 percent of the ticket sales will benefit the um quiet voice fund which is a fund that i uh, put together to just kind of be a hub for my, just to be able to support um, organizations that are, are doing work that I, I really believe in. Um, and in this case, it's supporting uh, uh, six uh, organizations sort of helping to protect against anti-Asian violence and advocate for uh, black Asian solidarity and solidarity with other uh, communities of color, um, and you can learn about them on uh, the website, which is thequietvoicefund.org. Um, and uh, yeah, and so very excited about uh, about that. I'm also releasing some some music along with the tour, um, and uh, and actually one of the things that I am I'm releasing 
my first ever, I know this is a, a very um, <laughs> uh, buzzy, maybe overused word right now, but, but uh, I'm releasing an NFT, which, um, which is not because of the buzz, but because it actually does fit the format of this thing that I'm doing <laughs> really awesome. well. Um, I'm, I'm creating a, a, a collaborate, like a true collaboration with a painter where, where the art piece is, is, is basically a painting that happens over time uh, with the song. So the, um, the finished oil painting is actually going to not be the piece of art. That's sort of like a byproduct of the piece of art. So uh, that's going to be released in April and we'll see, we'll see what the wild world of NFTs is like. Cool. That's great. Yeah. It's great. Well, friends, we're going to make sure that we include the links that, that Alex just shared in the show notes. Um, we really encourage you to check out Alex's work. Um, in addition to being a friend of ours, he's also just a brilliant, brilliant, talented guy. And um, as as creators ourselves, um, Robin and I are drawn to folks like that. And so, which is part of the reason we love Alex as much as we do. Um, Feeling is very mutual. <laughs> Oh, a quick plug for Delta Ray record on Friday. Yes. I yes. know. We are so excited. Um, the the lead into our podcast, you all have heard us say, say before, but the music that accompanies this podcast every week is from our friends Delta Ray. They're dropping a brand new album on Friday called The Dark. And it is the companion piece to The Light, which came out last year. Um, excited about that. So um, one of the things that we're going to end this episode with, um, and I want to give you kind of the last word, Alex, to kind of um, just kind of, you know, and uh, well, uh, kind of end, ask us all into a space of kind of how you, um, you know, envision, envision the world to be. Um, but one of the things we're going to end this um, podcast this episode with is um, the title song from the tour that Alex just told you about, which is a song called show yourself. Um, Alex, do you want to tell folks a little bit about the song so that they have kind of an understanding of where you were coming from when you wrote that? Um, sure. And then we'd love for you to just kind of give us a final word. Sure. Um, well, the song as we talked about in the beginning um, is, is another sort of real time uh, experiment of, of writing where, where I was, where, where I was at. Um, and, you know, I think we, we talked a little bit about um, as an artist, it took me and as a person, um, you know, I think I went through this, phase. Uh, and I don't think this is unique to me. I think this is something that I've recognized and talked about with other, a lot of other Asian Americans in, in my, uh, generation, I guess, um, generationally in terms of immigration status. Um, and, uh, and it was kind of like, you know, as a kid and as a young adult, I feel like there was a, a lot of push to just, you know, you want to belong. It's obviously like a, a very te teenage and, and, you know, desire and human desire. Um, but, but a lot of that meant pushing away from and, and uh, kind of rejecting 
a lot of the culture, a lot of the Asian-ness that made me othered and made, made me feel like I wasn't uh, American enough or something like that. And, you know, looking back, it's like, who knows if any of this was justified or objective or anything. It was just, that's how, you know, that's how it feels as a kid. And, and so I wanted to be white as a kid. You know, I, I remember that I wanted to just be like my friends and be, um, and it was, it wasn't, I hadn't found a, the connection that made me want to be proud yet. It was always this shame around uh, being Asian American and, and, and then shame around feeling my shame. And, and so, um, you know, there was sort of this distancing that happened uh, for a lot of my life and in music as well. It was always like, you know, I, I went into the industry of pop music, basically, and it's a very white industry. Um, and there just wasn't, there just weren't voices. There was no reference point to be like, well, how would I approach this as an Asian American? There was only just how, how would you approach it as a musician? And, or you could, you know, at the time, I think now is, is much different and much better, but at the time there was, there, there was like the, outskirts uh, there was like the asian american artists collectives that were almost you know i pushed I, I kind of distanced myself from those because i felt and this again it was didn't i don't know that this was like an accurate perception but it felt i wanted to be judged on my music and i wanted to be uh i wanted to compete against just musicians and not just in the asian musician bucket and um and I, and so I, I found myself distancing myself from from that, and it didn't t for a long time. It took a long time before I I grew up enough, I guess, to start to come back to that part of myself and, and ask questions about that part of myself and and wonder where it is and wonder what it what it is and what what it means. And and so the song is really the first time ever that I wrote about my experience and my identity and um and it seems weird to me being that it took so many you know it took that long in my career but um but at the same time i don't think i could have written it before you know so it's just it's uh it's it's me asking questions to myself um and visiting some of these ingrained conditioned habits like staying small keeping your head down um you know all these things very antithetical to a career in music <laughs> like don't make too much noise don't uh don't draw too much attention to yourself and um and so it's it's like reckoning with all that i have to say that um there are several times over the past year um, cause I, my partner and I came to your show the, the day after the tornado in 2020 and, you know, thoroughly enjoyed your show. And I mean, I lose count of the times that I put on your album at night because it, it does something for me on a, on a body level. And, um, 
and I, I have been immensely grateful for your music over the past year um, and look forward to more. Thank you so much, Robin. Uh, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Well, Alex, I know that um, I know it was important to you that we um, record this episode, that we um, take some time to talk really honestly and openly about what happened in Atlanta last night and how the response um, that we've seen, as well as the actions of of the human that that precipitated the crime, have really kind of embedded themselves in our psyche over the last 24 hours. Um, I know, t- I, I, I have to assume that it wasn't, um, it, this wouldn't have been high on your list of things that you would have wanted to do um, on a day like today, but I'm thankful. And I know our listeners will be as well that um, you shared this piece of yourself with us today. And um I, I'd like to include some uh, additional ways that our listeners can help or organizations that they can be involved in um, in the show notes. Um, and if there are any specific, Alex, that you'd like to call out, I'd love to include those as well. Sure. Thank you so much. And actually, it was really nice to talk today. So good, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, as far as organizations, I think the, the, uh, the, the ones on the quiet voice fund website are a great place to start. I, I really Perfect. tried to find organizations that were kind of, yeah, you know, looking at, from a holistic and positive place. And, and I, I admire what they ha- have been doing for a long time. Uh, not just you know now, but they've been working on on this stuff for a long time, and uh, and their approaches are all different and all creative and and, and positive, and um, and I think I guess the thing that I th- I'm thinking about a lot now is just allyship, and mm-hmm. um, I think you know those little things that we're told don't mean anything or that are just jokes or that are, you know, long duck dong or that are just the, the, you know, like the statistical reason why on, uh, online dating in America, only in America, um, Asian men and what, and, um, black women are the lowest, are the least, two least desirable demographics and, and ask, I think, I think this questions need to be asked of why, why that is, because I don't think that people, I think that the, that those preferences come from somewhere and they come from a story that we're told. Um, and, uh, and, and why we might say little Asian woman, little, little Chinese dude, why we would, um, feel like we could talk down to the, the nail, the lady at the nail salon or the, the person bringing our food, why do we feel that that we have a entitlement to even be a little short with that person? Right. Right. I do it too. I, I feel that I I have ingrained it too. And um and it's it's a it's again it's that dehumanizing 
conditioning that allows that to happen. Yeah, I think today is a perfect um, example of how we have as much to unlearn as we do to learn. And um, Alex, we're thankful that you were with us today. We're, we're grateful that you shared this piece of yourself. Friends will be back next week and actually quite a few weeks after that, continuing um, this series uh, with the Activist Theology podcast on um, Asian American racism uh, in in the U.S. and, and abroad. Um, we will uh, remind you to follow us. Um, if you're able on all of the socials, we are at Activist Theology. And activist and Theology share a T. And Dr. Robin, until next week, there's a lot of work to do. So before we go, I just want to share these two quotes from Chinese-American activist Grace Lee Boggs, um, who has been a, a, a mover and a shaker in the movement world for a long time. Uh, she says this, You cannot change any society unless you take responsibility for it, unless you see yourself as belonging to it and responsible for changing it. And the other quote is, the only way to survive is by taking care of one another. And that is what we are trying to do in, in this conversation series with Asian American folks is building an ethic of care so that we can compost the bullshit yeah composting is a good word yeah i'm glad that you were here alex and i can't wait to see you soon likewise guys very very much so can't wait to hug you both still scratch at the door go bump in the night but wild things will not be tamed until we call them out by Father's Chinese Fading in the suburban breeze Why do I run from what I used to be? Why am I hiding from my history? between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology 
share a tea. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. 